You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, guys, it is good to be with you all uh, today. Uh, Today we're beginning something new. We just finished uh, what I was doing over the course of the summer. Now the school is uh, staring us right in the face. Uh, we're going to start uh, walking through the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bible, you can open to the book of Colossians. Colossians uh, is uh, in the New Testament, like this This is all that's left in my Bible. Okay, so we're pretty far back in there. Uh, it's in Paul's letters after Romans. You get 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and then you get what I consider to be the General Electric Power Company portion of the Bible. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn. I don't care how you remember them. It's the sea of all of those. So after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, you get the book of Colossians. Uh, It's just a a short little uh, book just tucked in there, uh, four chapters long. It'll take us, I don't know, until Jesus comes back probably to finish it, okay? Uh, So we're going to work through it together. If you have your Bible, go on ahead and open to Colossians chapter 1. And just to acclimate you to the book of Colossians, um, what's going on is Paul is in jail. Um, It's disputed where he was in jail, but he was in jail, uh, which Paul spent a decent amount of his ministry time in jail. Uh, And he's writing letters. And and this letter to the church in Colossae uh, was was the the smallest church that Paul ever wrote a letter to. It was a church that Paul likely never visited, um, but he visited near enough to it, so it's not too terribly far from Ephesus, where Paul spent a period of about three years of his ministry life. It's just up a river uh, valley, you know, a, a, a decent bit up there. It's very close to uh, Laodicea as well. For those of you who are uh, been in Revelations at any point in your life, you remember the church at Laodicea uh, had a letter written to it um, by, by Jesus in, in the book of Revelation as well. And so it's in that area in, in the Lycus Valley, and it's a fairly insignificant town. Uh, there's not much about it. In fact, you know, there's people digging over there all the time, looking for, you know, excavating old cities and digging up things, just looking around to try to bring things back. It's a huge, uh, it, it just really a conservation slash tourism effort that's done uh, to bring people in there. And no one has deemed it worthy to even fund a dig in the town of Colossae. I mean, it is very very small. Uh, there, there was times earlier in its life that it was a slightly larger town, um, but by the time Paul got to writing, it was a fairly insignificant city just tucked away on the Lycus River. And so Paul, uh, for some reason, uh, got it in his mind, I'm going to write a letter to encourage these Christians that I've never met um, because a friend of his had told them about him. And this, is, this gets you there where we need to be. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 1, This is what Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is a fairly standard greeting from Paul. Tells you who he is, tells you who he's writing it to, and then sends out the the general uh, Christian greeting, grace and peace to you from God. Our Father. This is a letter uh, specifically written to the saints there, so it's a letter to the church that was gathered in this town. And so Paul continues on from there after greeting them. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in 
heaven. We're going to stop there and we're going to talk for just a minute. So Paul is writing this letter and he begins it as is typical with his greeting and then a, and a prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, and, he, and so he says, this is what I pray when I remember you in my prayers. There's a couple takeaways for this. First of all, for us, uh, you should have some things you remember in prayer regularly. You should have some individuals you remember in prayer regularly. You should have some churches that you remember in prayer regularly. If you're a member of this church, which eh, at least 80% of you are, if you're a member of this church, you should remember this place in your prayers regularly. There should be things that you are praying for consistently, regularly. Paul, probably following in the Jewish tradition, uh, had the custom of praying three times a day, morning and afternoon and evening. Uh, there was kind of set times of prayer in Judaism. Paul was raised that way. It's likely, and it seems evident from some of his other writings, that he kept those seasons of prayer. So it's time of prayer, an hour of prayer. He would go up and he would offer prayers on behalf of these things. And Paul evidently had a list. Uh, he had a list of things he prayed about. I would encourage you, I would strongly encourage you to make a list. Right? Not, not Santa's list, but make a list of what you can be praying about. Because it's easy when you sit down and you close your eyes and you begin to pray to get kind of lost in the midst of whatever your mind is thinking of in that moment. And that's not bad. I'm not saying don't pray for the things that the Spirit lays on you in a moment or, or that your mind just kind of brings to attention. But you need to have some structure too. There needs to be some things to say, okay, I am praying for this. I've encouraged you before to write down a list of names of people who do not know Jesus that are in your life, right? And to pray for those people until, until, either, until they, either they are no longer able to respond to the gospel call because uh, they, they have gone on to death or until God has brought them to salvation, whether through your efforts or through the efforts of someone else. But have a list. Make a list. Paul had a list. He said, I always remember y'all, right? And it's not that he was praying for them every minute of every day, but when he sat down to pray, their names were on the list. Morris Cook, who was here uh, for uh, the funeral that we did uh, uh, just last a week and a half ago, I guess now, for Nell Hoffmeyer, you know, told me, I, I always pray for you, Matt. I, I can't ever remember your name, but I pray for the pastor at First Baptist Church Rockdale, because he was pastor here, so he prays for that. And now that he and I know each other, it's like, I have written your name down on my list. I, I can't tell you how much that means to me, right, to know that I'm being prayed for uh, by another man who loves Jesus. And so when he sits down to pray and he remembers this church, he remembers me and prays for me by name. You should have that sort of a list going on. It's an encouragement to pray for these people and to be consistent in your prayer. I think churches often have a chance or have a, uh, I don't know, often we tend to, to lag in our prayer. We go through seasons of fervent prayer. We go through there periods of time when we're faithfully praying. And then when life kind of settles into a routine, our prayer life settles out of the routine. Um, but we need to be faithful, we need to be fervent, we need to be consistent in prayer. I encourage you, make a list and be consistent. And here's what Paul prayed for them, right? The, 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 the specific prayer uh, that he had with them. He looked, we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the saints and because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. He prayed for the three great Christian virtues uh, to, to, to be given to him, faith, hope, and love. Those are the things that, that he was praying on. I pray, pray for you because I've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, our common 
faith. And he says, then it says, you know, in the love of Christ that's seen in you, right? And, and he says, I, I pray for that because I've seen, I've heard reports that the love of Christ is evident among you. And then for the hope that is yet to come as Christians, that's a pretty good model for prayer, Right? For those who share our faith and that their faith would continue to grow, we, should, we can pray for, for, for the, their love to, to grow as well for one another and their love for the Lord to grow and then for their hope to remain fixed on the coming of Jesus. Right? This is a wonderful, simple prayer. Paul wasn't just telling them this, though, because this, any of the beginning of Paul's letters seems similar, um, but he's always pointing towards what he's going to be talking to them about in the coming pages, right? So, so he's, he's like, uh, in your faith, your, your love, your hope, and what he's going to talk about a little bit later is their faith and their love and their hope and how those things uh, can be strengthened as well. Okay, and then he continues on in the second half of verse 5. He says, Of this you have heard before the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it, and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant, he is a faithful minister on Christ, of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So, so this, this kind of last little portion that we're going to talk about today, the last thing that we're going to focus on is the work of the gospel, right? He, he says you've heard the gospel, and the gospel does what it always does does everywhere in the world that the gospel is is present what does it do it bears fruit and it increases everywhere that the true gospel rightly understood that christ died for sinners and rose from the dead and that if you would believe in him that you would have everlasting life everywhere that that gospel was presented it grows right and becomes more powerful among those people right it is a increasing and fruit bearing thing and, and so we can't have stationary christians it's impossible uh, forever it's impossible to be a stationary christian to have attained a certain level of godliness and to say this is where i'm going to be and i'm just going to maintain this forever Right? And you kind of look around and where your level of godliness is depends on who you compare yourself to. So for me, I always compare myself to Brian Price. And I say, okay, i got to make sure I have at least the level of godliness of Brian Price. And so if I can stay at the Brian Price level of godliness, I'll be good the rest of my life. Right? That's what we do. We look around. We say, who's godly? Who looks like they got, kind of got this thing figured out? And we say, if we can get there, we're good. And when we achieve what we perceive as that... We're like, hey, I've achieved this thing. But the gospel is always growing. Like it's always changing. And the things that it's growing in you, the things that it's changing in you, are the things that Paul has already thanked the church for having. Faith, hope, and love. Those things grow daily if you rightly understand the gospel. Your faith should be stronger today Right? Your faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus did, your connection to the vine should be stronger today than it was when you came to know the Lord, whenever that was in your life, than it was two months ago, than it was six months ago. There should be growth because if you understand the gospel, you must be growing. Right? And a lot of us, we, we, we've kind of stopped. We just stopped. And so the question is, how does that happen? How do we stop growing? If it's true 
that everywhere that the gospel is, it bears fruit and increases, how is it not doing that here in, in, in me, in, in you? How is, how is it not bearing fruit and increasing? And there's a couple things that I think that, that, that cause that to be the case. The first is, right, the first thing that causes us not to bear fruit, not to see the gospel increase, is unrepentant sin. We have found something that we like more than the gospel. We have found there is a sin that we prefer more than the gospel, and we have poured our lives into that sin. And like the common sins of our age, right, the things that grab hold of most of us or have a, t- a tendency to grab hold of most of us, right, is this idea of like generally serving yourself. This consumerism mindset that America sells you all the time, right? You know, Sprite's slogan forever was obey your thirst. Like you or the master, Burger King, your way, right away. Like what you want, you deserve, right? That you deserve a donut that you get at the donut shop. And by the way, none of us deserve a donut. <laughs> My daughter really appreciates that. She'll, if someone says they deserve something, she's like, no, you deserve death and hell uh, because I, I've said this <laughs> before, right? You don't deserve a donut. You might want a donut. You might enjoy a donut, but you don't deserve a donut. But a lot of us, we bought in to the fact that, 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 that the lie that's been sold to us, that we, like we're, the, we're the ones that should be pleased. And that seeking our pleasure and our gratification and our good and our, our feeding our impulses, our urges, our appetites, right, that, that, that somehow that, that's better than the gospel. Because the gospel is a gospel of denying yourself and taking up your cross and following after Jesus. It's not about banking as much money as you can, putting it in your 401k so you can retire out on the coast somewhere in a nice house. That's not the gospel. But a lot of us have bought into that because some financial advisor told us, well, if we do this, then they, and they draw out what your future is going to be, and you're like, that looks great. I would love that future, yeah. But Jesus is lost in the midst of it. You know, I, I don't have any issues with our current mayor. I think Brett's currently the mayor. I don't want to say, I think he was inducted already. I don't have any issues with him at all. Uh, he seems like a good guy. He's got some good ideas. He has a plan for uh, doing some stuff in this city. And I looked at his plan. You know what's absent from his plan? Churches. Fully, completely absent from his plan for, 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 for changing this city for the good. Totally absent. Uh, the schools, uh, children's programs, great ideas, wonderful ideas. Church is totally absent. Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is we, we probably aren't super helpful in advancing, right? We've been here for 150 years, and not just us. Like, there's others of us around here, right? Maybe, we've, maybe we have failed <laughs> for 150 years at some of those things to the point that the world sees no use for us and their plans to making the world a brighter and better place. Maybe we have failed. The other is, like, we're just so focused on what we can do by our power, by our strength. And so we look at what we can do. So the first thing that causes us to, to not grow and not change is sin. And I don't know what your sin is. If, if, you're, if it's consumerism, if it's feeding your own appetites, I guarantee it's feeding your own appetites somehow. But we have to mortify sin. That means we can't celebrate those things that are broken inside of us. If we can't try to baptize the things that we do and say that this is now just, just the way it's supposed to be. And we do that a lot of different ways. I'll stay with money because it's a pretty easy one to talk about. But, it, but you say, like, 
Well, why aren't you more generous with what God has given you? Why are you hoarding? Why are you keeping all this back? This number is going up, but your faithfulness is not going out from here. How is that the case? And you say, well, you know, one day, one day I'll be able to do. One day I'll do. One day uh, this is where we're going to be. But, but, man, money has a tricky way of going from a tool that can be used to a God that must be served. And that is not just true of money. That's true of everything in this world. Your children. I love my, I've got 17 children. That's not true. Seven? I have seven children. Teen? I can't tell. I have seven children. I love every single one of them um, to varying degrees. No, that's not true. I love all of my children equally. That's what I'm told at all times. Exactly the same. <laughs> I love my kids. Um, but man, they can be tyrants. They, they can be jealous masters for your time. But they can demand from you things. That, and it's not that they're wicked. I've got a four-year-old, right? He's four years old. He doesn't know that he's a tyrant. <laughs> he doesn't know that he's demanding. When he demands this, that I have to give this, and I'm trading off something else in there. And parents, if you're here today, I want you to know you have to be the adult. You have to be the adult. When the, when the kids say, this is what we've got to do, you have to be the adult. And you have to know the totality of what you're trying to accomplish and not give in to the little tyrant there. Because once you start serving that little tyrant, it doesn't get better. They just get bigger and bigger. And then they're like 6'6 six, six, and sitting two-thirds of the way back, right? I mean, they, 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 they just get bigger. Tyrants. You've got to set your boundaries because when you serve them instead of serving the Lord, oftentimes it's exactly instead of serving the Lord. You say, I'm going, to, I'm going to give this weekend, I'm going to give this time, I'm going to give this. And at some point along the way, you know, church becomes an afterthought. You're not even just church attendance, but, but your faith becomes an afterthought because you're so busy doing good stuff. Uh, one of the books that was really impactful to me is C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. I don't know if anyone's ever read The Screwtape Letters. Uh, I'd encourage you to read it. It's worth a read. Um, it's a series of letters written from a demon. It's fictional, obviously. Uh, a series of letters written from a demon uh, to his boss. The uh, Maybe the other way, yeah. From boss demon to lower demon. So, so boss demon's writing letters down to lower demon. Hey, uh, you need to work on this or try this with your person that you're tormenting. And uh, part, of, part of what the demon's strategy is, according to C.S. Lewis, is just to entertain us enough, right? just to entertain us enough with good things that we miss out on the great things that God is actually trying to get us to do. So like, if we're so focused on entertaining ourselves, like the word of God grows very dusty. We don't hear the voice of God because we don't read the word of God because we're too busy, you know, watching our 15th hour of Netflix this weekend. Right? We're, we're so busy watching the, the nine millionth hour of YouTube. I, I grabbed my kid's phone one time and looked at their YouTube usage over like a 24-hour period. It's like 18 hours. I don't know how you watch 18 hours of YouTube in a 24-hour period. It was insane. And then I watched some of the videos, and they were just unintelligible. I don't, I don't understand it at all. Right? I, can't, I can't get my head around some of the stuff that's out there. Uh, I'm not 15, so I guess there's a reason that's not made for me. But we have a lot of time for a lot of garbage. We have a lot of time for a lot of things. Your hobbies rarely suffer 
because of your commitment to the Lord. Guys, I encourage you, if you want to see this growth that is supposed to be inevitable where the gospel is rightly understood, you have to put God first. And I'm not saying you can't have hobbies. I'm not saying you can't have children. I can't say you can't do good things for your kids. I'm not saying you can't have money and that everything's got to go on the plate every time it passes by. I don't believe that at all. All of those things are good. Your money is a tool that God has given you to use, and you can use it a variety of ways. But I will say, if you never think about what you're going to do and you just float along through this life, you're going to make a lot of bad choices about how you handle yourself, and it will never grow. And part of that is because of sin. The other part is because you don't actually understand the gospel. A lot of us don't understand the gospel. We could say it, like if I, I, I hope you could say the gospel. I wonder sometimes if we could. If I had y'all write down the gospel, how many of your gospels would be clear and how many of them would be muddy? I do wonder that sometimes. But I think a lot of us know the gospel. Like, like Christ died for sin, right, and rose again, right? That's a pretty simple gospel, right? And we, we might know that and we might add a bunch of other stuff in there too to muddy it up. But that's the, the core of the gospel is that Christ died for sinners like me. And then he rose again, conquering death. That's, that's, that's the truth of the gospel. But do you understand what that means? Like, truly understand what the gospel is. It's not, it's not an addition to your life. Like, we just added on on the parsonage, right? But if you come in my house now, it's almost put all the way back together, um, which is great. Um, but if you were to come into the parsonage now, like, you're like, oh, yeah, this is the parsonage. Oh, this is the new section over here. I can kind of see they, they, what happened. But it's the same house. Right? There's no massive change. Like, oh, that wall's moved over there. Well, you got another bedroom and a bathroom. And you're like, man, that's really nice. There's an addition onto this house. But it's the same house. If you were to drive up to my house and look at it, like, I think there used to be a garage door there. And now there's a couple windows. Right? It, it's basically the same house. Now, nothing massive changed. The gospel isn't that to your life. It's not, oh, you're Matt Higginbotham, the gospel comes in, you're Matt Higginbotham with a couple windows where the garage used to be. It is a transformative truth that, that you by yourself are inadequate to take care of the problem that you have identified in your life. That you can't solve your problem. And so the whole thing's got to be ripped down. The whole structure has to go down because my life, 15-year-old Matt Higginbotham, before I came to know Jesus, before Jesus made himself known to me, my structure was unstable. It was not functional. It would not hold up. And just adding the gospel onto the side of it, of like, here's a really garbage structure that I've built where I like try to be pretty good to people, but I also try to do the things that make me happy. Right? Oh, yes, and then Jesus too. And you just smash it together and think that that's what a, a, a converted life looks like. That's not, that's not conversion. I, I don't know, syncretism maybe, right? Adding something on to something else and trying to make it into something new. But the gospel changes you entirely. You're a new creation. The old is gone, right? The new has come. You are not the same. Like, you're, 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 I assume that you're, you don't change physically. Maybe you shave, right? So you look totally different all of a sudden. Um, but, but, like, you don't change physically, but who you are changes in an instant. And it's not fully formed. We should be growing and changing. And I don't look like I looked when I was 15 spiritually. I'm a different person. 
But you can't be the same and just add Jesus on. And I, I feel like we told a lot of people they could do that for a long time in the church. Like, you can raise your hand. I'm going to, you know, you go to youth camp, every head bowed, every eye closed, raise your head hand if you don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Okay, then call on Jesus. I mean, we'll just add Jesus on. And it's like Jesus is a cancer onto the life that you've built. He's just something that's just latched on there. But he's not really a part of what you are. The whole structure needs to be built around it. That's why I said we don't rightly understand the gospel. Because a lot of us, we, we weren't converted. We just added something on. And maybe we added on really young. Maybe you were six, seven years old when you understood that Christ died for sinners. And you just added that on young. And, and I, I, like, I don't know all of your salvation stories. I can't, it's not my spot to judge your salvation. Praise God for that. Uh, but everything has to change if you understand the gospel. You can't be the same. God isn't looking to, to renovate something. Like, oh, you're a fixer-upper, and I'll just kind of, you know, we'll change this out, we'll add a new coat of paint on. I was talking to Brian earlier, and I had a house that they, they moved away and came back because my own county is just so great. And, uh, but they lived down the road from me initially, which was real pleasant for us. And then they said that was too close, so they moved to Cameron um, when they came back. But their house that they lived in in Rockdale uh, is back up for sale. And he's like, yeah, it's like for double or something what they sold it for to them uh, in like three years. Like what a, what a great, great investment that was for them. He's like, and they just added like a coat of paint to like one room. And some of us think that's what the gospel does, just kind of like slap a little bit of paint on, raise the overall value, and everything's good. No, it's a total, it's, it's a deconstruction. The whole thing's ripped down. It's built up from scratch. That's why when Paul says, if the resurrection of Christ didn't happen, I'm to be pitied more than any other man, woe is me, because that is his foundation. The foundation has to change at salvation. If you rightly understand the gospel, if you rightly understand the gospel and you choose to not allow yourself to be caught in, in crazy sin, it is inevitable that growth will occur and power will be, will be seen. Your faith will increase. Your love for each other will increase. Right? Your hope in the resurrection and your hope in, in, in Christ's return will increase. Right? That's where we should be. So I have a couple questions for you today. The first is, are you converted? Or did you just smash Jesus onto your life and say, I hope that this is good enough? And I don't know the answer to that because I'm not the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask that you do some business with God. And just ask God to, to reveal to you where you are. Or do you know Jesus? And if you do know Jesus, then I'm going to ask you the question, are you growing in Christ? Do, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, which are not in Colossians, but, but, but do those, are those more evident in your life? Is it more evident that, 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 that you, you, you love people? Is it more evident that you have self-control now than you did a year ago? Is it more evident right, that, that, that you have more hope in Jesus Christ's return? Or are you the same as you were six months ago? Or maybe, maybe worse, maybe you backslid some in six months. And sometimes we do backslide. That's always because of sin, by the way. And if you're not growing, then I want you to, to try to ferret out what that sin is. What is the thing that, that Satan is using to grab a hold of you and to prevent you from experiencing what, what God is trying to do in your life? Look, I've been reading the book of Acts. 
what a powerful story of what God did, right? The Holy Spirit comes, people are being saved. Daily, daily, daily the church is growing. Are, are, do you experience that in your life? Daily growth. And I'm not talking about massive, like I was something yesterday and now I'm the Pope today. Uh, I'm not looking for that step necessarily today. Are you growing daily though? and your knowledge of Jesus? Are you growing daily in your love for Jesus? Are you growing daily in your love for your neighbor? Are you growing daily in your love for your church? Are you growing daily in the hope and the resurrection? Are you growing daily in the hope of the return of Jesus? Are you growing daily? Are you growing at all? And if you're not, I guarantee there's sin in your life that, that you are not dealing with. Or that you know you're not dealing with and you're entertaining because you think that it's a pet that you can control. That may have been where I was going earlier. You know, a lot of us, we have a sin... And we think it's not hurting anyone else. Like, it's my sin, and it's something that I, it's just mine. But man, it, it, it will master you. That's what I was talking about about your kids. That was the point of that. This good thing, this thing that you think you have control of, can become something absolutely terrible. So if that's your case today, today's a good day to repent of that. Call out to God for forgiveness. Ask the Holy Spirit for deliverance from that and walk in the newness of life that God has already guaranteed you. Because the gospel is power now. It isn't just power for some future land on the other side of the veil of death. It is power today. It, it is the message of hope and it should change you now. You knew who you were without Jesus because of who Jesus is. You are now something new. So you go live the new creation today. It's a yes and thing. Yeah, there's going to be a future situation. There's going to be one day when I experience the fullness of God in a way that I can't even understand on this side. But today I understand Jesus better than I did six months ago. Praise God for that. That's a work of the Spirit. Are you growing? And if you're not, why? Either you don't know Jesus, really. You just added Jesus on to some American life that they sold you at church camp when you bowed your head and you raised your hand. Or, or you repeated a prayer after me. And I don't mind the sinner's prayer. I actually think it's a pretty good way to put words to what you believe. But repeat after me, this is not magic. Right? It's not, you say the hocus pocus and then you get the result. Right, so, so, so maybe you repeated a prayer and you just kind of added it on to your life. But if, it, if that's the case, you need to be converted. Today's a day of salvation for you, to believe the gospel. That Christ died for your sins. That Christ rose from the dead so that you could have life eternal. So that you could be made righteous. So that you could be declared uh, holy because of Christ's goodness. That is the gospel. So it's a day of salvation for you. If you're a believer today and you're not growing, though, it's a day of repentance. And if you're doing both, praise God for you. Seriously, we need you. I'm so excited to be ministering alongside of you. What a privilege it is to be your pastor. Let's pray.